Hello and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 22. I'm one of your hosts, Hector Marrero. And I'm Kip Clark. Today's topic, home and what home is. Kip, you brought in this topic. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on what you think a home is and what is it that you want to get out of this discussion? Certainly. So obviously it's around Thanksgiving time. In fact, by the time this episode is released, it will probably be past Christmas time and the later holidays of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's a time of the year when most people, if they're lucky enough to do so, get to go home, get to be around their families and sort of relocate to that central space where we all feel, hopefully, most comfortable. And I think that's why I wanted to talk about it. And also because I think that home isn't necessarily one location, and I don't think it's necessarily where your place of residence is. I would argue that a home can be defined as the place in which you feel most comfortable. I think that feeling can be found in a variety of places. I think it can be found in other people with whom you feel most comfortable. So, for example, I guess to get the ball rolling, my first house, or I guess you could say my first home technically, was in Ladue, Missouri. It's a suburb of St. Louis, and I was born in St. Louis in 1993. But I don't remember this house very well. I remember certain staircases and certain rooms, but I think a lot of that's from videotapes that I've seen, and that's also crazy to me to think that I don't actually know what parts of my childhood or even my first home I really remember, but I remember it in certain detail. I remember the neighborhood we lived, I think, on a road called Rio Vista, or Rio Vista Drive, maybe, and... Yeah, it's just interesting to me to think back that far. But it was technically my first home, and I think it was only really my first home because it's where I lived, and I remember it pretty well, and we later moved. But have you ever moved, and if so, do you remember your first home? Yes, I remember my first home. It was an apartment on Frisbee Avenue in the Bronx. I've lived in the Bronx my entire life. This apartment, I also have this sense that I don't really quite remember what it looked like from my own memory or from videotapes. But actually, after saying that, I do have some very clear memories of that house, including my mom. Well, let me go back for a second. There are some memories I have of the house that are very clear. One of the clearest memories is the clothesline outside of my window. So we lived, I don't know, on the fifth floor, I want to say, and the clothesline was right outside my window. So every time we would do laundry or my mom would do laundry, she would come into the room and she would, you know, hang up every shirt and then, you know, move the line a little bit, put up another shirt, you know, hang them up with pins. And I, I always remember her being by that window and putting things up. We did move and it wasn't until later on in my life that I knew why, but we were robbed. Somebody came into our house, barged into our house, um, stole an expensive computer, stole a bunch of jewelry, including my mom's uh, college class ring, just took a bunch of stuff, um, which probably really sucked for my parents, you know, because they were responsible for two very little people. Me and my brother were three and two at the time. And I do remember going house searching, and I remember parts of the structures of these houses we visited. We went through a whole slew of houses in the Bronx. I remember going through staircases, looking at different types of carpet. 
And then I have a memory of being on the carpet of my current home in the living room, sitting down, watching television across the, you know, across the way. And the living room was completely empty. It had a carpet that does not exist anymore. And the whole structure of the house was a little different because there was no furniture. And uh, it was just a space at that time. Um, and outside there was this beautiful pine tree, which now also no longer exists. And I think the reason my parents cut it down was because it was too close to the house and it was too big. And in case it fell and fell on our house, it would cause damages and we didn't want to deal with that. But when me and my brother were younger, we would hide under that tree and wait for my dad to come home. And he could obviously see our legs from under the tree, but it always felt like a surprise because we were so short, we could just fit underneath the branches, the lower branches of that tree, and then say, hey, hi, Dad, how are you? Uh, you know, hug him and whatnot. And I missed that tree a lot. I remember seeing them cut it and then pull it down. It was one of those controlled falls, and they just knocked it down onto the street. And apparently, my dad tells me this, that one of our neighbors came up to him and said, Oh, what have you done? The value of your house has just decreased because you cut down that tree. And my dad was like, that's not what I was thinking about at all. You know, he was thinking about what it could have happened. But I remember I missed that tree quite a bit when I was younger. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that you talk about trees because some of the most notable changes in my house back in Wellesley, Massachusetts are because of trees. We had some in the backyard that were uprooted during a really strong storm, mm -hmm. and I remember seeing them on their sides. I have pictures, actually, and seeing all the roots poking up, and we had to get rid of the trees. We didn't plant new ones in their spaces. They were just gone, and that was kind of crazy to me. They weren't much taller than myself, probably eight or nine feet tall, but we also had some big trees out in front of our house, which separated our lot or our property from our neighbor's who were slightly down the street from us, just the next house over. And I remember coming back this summer, actually, in 2014, and seeing the trees just gone. And it was weird to me. Something felt naked. They had also removed a lot of the shrubs from that area and cut a lot of the tree branches and sort of trimmed things up. And it looked really different to me. And there's something weird about seeing those things change. But on a more internal level, in the basement of our house, again in Wellesley, there was a couch that I sat on downstairs when I watched TV or played games that we had, I think, since 2003, and that changed in probably 2010 or something like that. So it had a long life with us, if you can think of a couch like that. And we eventually replaced it. I think some of the springs had broken or some of the cushions just didn't work quite right. And I remember being pretty disappointed by that. It was just sad to see it go. And I have since gotten used to the new couch, which is much more firm and easier to sit on, whatever, but it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. I think you develop attachment to things, even if they're not mm -hmm. the best, even if they are worn down or dirty or whatever, I think it's natural to see something over and over again and sort of internalize its role in your life or in your house. So that's definitely interesting to me. But yeah, do you remember the, the moving process between that old home of yours and where you currently are? Do you remember what that was like? Not quite. The strongest memory really is sitting down in that living room and uh, watching um, the television. I can't remember putting the beds into the bedroom. However, I do have quite a few memories of changing things up, moving furniture from one room to another. 
I think we changed one of our televisions once or the stand in which we put the television on in the living room. And for some time, that television stand was actually in my room. And I remember walking into my room one day and I saw my dad actually playing my Sega Genesis on the television. And I was so excited because we had a, you know, a Sega and a PlayStation in the room now. It was the first time we had a television in the room, um, f- which for better for worse happened. Another strong memory I have associated with my home in New York is the landscape around it. So while I guess by definition a home is a specific place, the landscape around it also does affect the feeling that is associated with the home. So for example, there was a baseball field, a little baseball field 10 minutes off from where I live, and I would go play there quite often or practice there. And right now, uh, every time I come back home from Kenyan, there is a building there, this concrete structure that's just been getting bigger and bigger, and now it's it has this layering of, I don't know, metal on top of it. Basically, they're constructing this building, and a little bit more has been done every time I arrive to New York. And I think it's supposed to be part of a hospital. But now that building is a prominent part of the horizon. So especially in the winter months when the leaves are all off the tree on the third floor of my house I can see that building in the distance and it doesn't really bother me at all but it is interesting it it feels almost like oh now here's a building that can see more than my house and I'm so used to the relative height of buildings in my neighborhood being so low that seeing that one building that was relatively tall was a bit jarring So I guess I want to throw that question back at you, or rather throw this back at you. Do you recall any buildings that were created around your uh, neighborhood or significant changes to the architecture structure of the landscape around your neighborhood that in a way affected the way you view your own home? To a degree, certainly. I live on a road with a lot of other people who have money to spend on renovations or complete remodelings of the house or even construction altogether. And I've seen a number of neighbors build or add on to their houses. And I remember either walking by or running by and just noticing that difference or seeing the process, all those bare planks of wood just waiting to be, you know, molded into a structure. And it's kind of surreal. I think as people, we forget how that process works and how much time it actually takes to build something or to plan out how to build something. But to actually relate some of this to Kenyan, which has in a lot of ways become a home of mine or perhaps a second home, I remember my freshman year going for runs. It was one of the first things I did at Kenyan just to sort of locate myself and calm myself down and find myself in the space and the landscape And if you run down one of these roads, I believe it's Wiggins Street, if you go far enough, there was a barn on the right side of the road about a mile and a half out from campus. And I remember running by it and identifying it and sort of using it as a landmark. And at one point about May of 2013, maybe a little bit earlier, it was torn down gradually. And it was just sort of packed away and put somewhere, I presume, and they have not since rebuilt it. I don't think they have any plans to, and I don't actually know. But that's one piece of architectural landscape that I remember just seeing vanish. And it's it's kind of surreal because you recognize how transient some places are, especially homes. It can be unsettling because we like to think that our homes are sort of havens, and in a lot of ways havens from change or from other things that we try to avoid because change is not always pleasant, and I know that. Um... 
but yeah, I have very weird feelings about seeing things that have changed, and especially when you or I or anyone is away at college, especially probably kids that are abroad that come back either to their homes or to the schools that they attend. I suspect there are things that have changed that feel weird. So I wanted to ask you, when you came back from abroad, I guess this is me presuming that Kenyon was at some point or is your home. Did you feel weird about certain aspects of the school that had changed, or did it feel less like home when you returned? No, it didn't feel less like home. I know one of the strongest feelings I had returning from Rome was that I was grateful for sinks and toilets that worked. One thing about the apartment that I lived in in Rome with my colleagues was that it was very beautiful. We had a little balcony and it was very, you know, it was quite spacious, some of the the rooms. But the toilet and sink were awful, absolutely terrible. They were constantly getting blocked up um, by one thing or another. So when I returned to Kenya, I was absolutely so grateful for just fully functioning plumbing. And I had a new appreciation for just how plumbing worked and the fact that I could just drink water or use a sink and assume that the water would come from the stream and then just disappear into another pipe. And so I guess I I became more aware (laughs) of the plumbing in houses and how grateful I should be about um, having working plumbing. But I want to go back for a second. I want to ask you, have you seen the new master plan for Kenyan? I have not. I know a bit about some things have been told, some buildings are going to be added, and I think it's perhaps most pertinent to you and I talking about buildings being either torn down or added, but I have not, so I'd be very curious to know what you know or I've heard. Interesting. Yeah, well, I guess we could talk about this in another, in a future episode or perhaps in a discussion of our own, but it is interesting. They are planning on adding uh, four new uh, dorm buildings by Old Kenyon, Hannah, and Leonard, which if you are not familiar with the Kenyon campus, it's part of our southern half of campus. And they're also planning on adding quite a few other buildings, including a building specifically for drama, dance, and film, which I think is very exciting. But I think there is also something scary about change and seeing these changes on paper in these architectural drawings and realizing that the landscape that we, you and I, have uh, grown accustomed to and found as a home, because I agree, I also find Kenya as one of the places I call home. It is scary to think about changes and, and how the space being transformed can affect us. Right. It's definitely interesting to think about Kenya as a home and even on a broader level, colleges or dorm rooms because I always think to myself how fascinating it is that I only have at maximum a year in some of these rooms and I have to get accustomed to it within the first few weeks or so and gradually it becomes familiar and then come May when the school year's over and I'm packing up it's just so jarring to me to think of how briefly I lived there but how familiar it became and I think it's testament to the human ability to make a space into a home and I think it's really cool and I look forward to at some point in my life living in an apartment or wherever in some city or other environment and getting accustomed to it because I think it's never been a problem for me. I know certain people that feel very weird when they don't have a lot of time to spend in a space but it's definitely very interesting to me. Are there certain experiences you identify with with a place being a home? Personally for me I think of eating meals especially dinner as making a place into sort of a home but for you, what are the things that make a space into a home? Yeah, I think when it comes to my home in New York or my rooms at Kenyon, which are almost like pods, um, the way that we use them, we enter them for 
an eight month period and then just completely leave them behind. But one thing that I see connects all of these places together is that I enjoy having people over. And when it comes to my house in New York, it's usually family. Sometimes friends will come over. I treat them to meals or my family will, you know, cook a meal for them. Likewise, at Kenyan, I love having people over and listening to music or making music or just having conversation, sometimes late into the night. And I think that's a very strong association I have with my home, is a place where I can sit down with friends and people that I love and talk or eat, break bread together, as they say. It's a place of comfort and a place of uh, discourse. At the same time, I think it's interesting to acknowledge that in both our thoughts of what a home is, there are a lot of things that we take for granted. And I just thought of this when I was thinking about the plumbing, but, you know, a house usually, at least in America, has a working toilet, has a working sink, electricity that powers the entire house. You have all these things that help you survive the elements outside, surrounded by these four walls. But there is so much underneath that. There's so much at work. Um, the electrical grid, for example, or water collection and water purification and recycling for people to drink water. I think it's fascinating, especially considering that nowadays, every once in a while, I read about people wanting to be self-sufficient or quote-unquote off the grid. And it's difficult it, when you think about it. It actually takes quite a bit of work to live self-sufficiently, to not have to rely on anybody else for your food and for your water and for any other commodity. So I guess what I wanted to ask you, Kip, was do you think our sense of home will change as it goes into the future? Not only what we consider our home, but what a home actually is. And this kind of ties into, you know, resources. Resources on this earth, for example, are limited. And we have a lot of people who are being born, a lot of people who are living on this planet. And this expectation that I think comes from the American dream where everybody has their home and white picket fence is not quite possible, not feasible anymore, because you have, you know, cities where people have to be stacked up into these buildings. So what do you think uh, maybe the future of homes will be? If, and I don't know, I hope this isn't too big a question. No, it's maybe broad, but I think there's a lot to think about. I believe if I had to predict that, like you said, there's only so many resources on the planet. And of course, human population doesn't seem to be stopping. I think people continue to be born at a quicker rate than people pass away. And so I think the population will increase and I think that resources will decrease. And so I think that over time we will see more situations like those that we see in cities where more apartments are built and more people live together. And hopefully those spaces aren't too cramped. But I do think one thing that for me makes a home is seeing other people. I don't know that I'd ever want to live alone or at least alone and far away from other people. Yeah. If I had a single in some apartment building somewhere and I had neighbors across the hall, that's not so bad. But I do believe it's very natural for people to live together. I think we're obviously social beings and I think we thrive not only when we have commodities like water, electricity, and other things to help us survive, but companionship and people that live near us. And so we certainly need our space, but I think that people have to manage that and find a way to live with people but also live comfortably. Yeah. So those are some of my thoughts. I think my sense of home was changed a little bit over the summer. 
I went to California to visit my friend from high school, and he lived in this lovely co-op named Ithaca off of Stanford uh, University's campus. And this was, you know, just a, it was a house. It was a relatively large house, but it accommodated 20 people. Um, and a pair of the and a selected pair of those 20 every night would cook a meal for the whole house and then later in the week there was another group of people who were uh, set to clean the whole house or the whole kitchen and it was this whole system that was set up to you know accommodate all these people who all had their uh, sleeping spaces but who shared the bulk of the house and I thought it was magical. I thought it was so magical to live with all these people. In in my short stay there, I stayed there for about a week, but I thought it was so magical to have this space where you could enter the living room and there was somebody reciting poetry, or you could go into another room and everybody was just reading books or watching a film, or you could go into the refrigerator and grab uh, some leftovers that somebody had left over for anybody to take. I guess that experience uh, gave me this idea that perhaps... Homes can be a place for not only necessarily blood relatives, but for friends or people that you do consider as close as family. There is a strong possibility that the future home will be more than just the nuclear family as we have been used to in the past, I suppose, 70, 60 years since the baby boom after World War II. I think it might be a place where friends and people who consider themselves kin can live together. Yeah, that's a very, very valid possibility and one that I think would be very interesting to see. But those are just some of our thoughts on homes and what it means to have a home and other abstract musings. But we'd also love to hear from you guys. We don't want this to be a conversation between. We want it to be a conversation among. So please give us some of your thoughts, comment on our website, leave a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. And contact us through social media. Maybe suggest other topics or related topics that you would like us to discuss. We're all for your input and we really, really want to hear what you guys think. So please let us know and Hector, if they want to reach us on social media, how would they go about doing that? Visit us on Facebook at Stride and Saunter, Twitter at Stride and Saunter, that's N, not and. Visit our website, strideandsaunter.com or email us at strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And of course, as always, we really thank you for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Hector Marrero. Dress warmly.